Quarantine Conversations podcast series aims to show what it's like to be an Earth, Earth, Ocean, or Atmospheric Scientist. There is a lot of diversity under that umbrella, and not all of our scientists wear lab coats. Today, we're focusing on pride in Earth sciences and speaking to members of our community who also belong to the LGBTQ rainbow. Today, we're chatting with Daniel Gowerluck. He's the Education Outreach Coordinator and Assistant Curator at the Pacific Museum of Earth at the University of British Columbia. You might recognize Daniel's voice as he's the one you usually hear hosting this podcast series, but today I have stepped in as host. My name is Kirsten Hodge, and we've put Daniel on the other side of the mic so that we can hear a bit more about him. So welcome, Daniel. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Kirsten. Thank you. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Kirsten is my director. She is my boss. Uh, so this is like, a, I guess, a second job interview. Yeah, I was going to say, this kind of feels like an interview. Am I going to learn new things about you? Hopefully not. <laughs> Hopefully not. Um, so just for our listeners, why don't you, you know, give us a description of your job? Like, what do you do on a day-to-day -day basis? So uh, for those of you who don't know, the Pacific Museum of Earth is a really small museum, um, and working in a small museum has its blessings and curses. Uh, one of the things is that um, basically if something needs to be done, uh, I try to do it. <laughs> I always say that I get to do all the fun parts of um, museuming, and uh, Kirsten, I get to shunt all the boring stuff, like committee meetings and grant writing off to you. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, when someone wants to donate uh, a lot of rocks, uh, usually I'm the one who gets to uh, say yay or nay. And unfortunately, it's usually nay because we just don't have the space for uh, more donations. Um, I get to supervise our students and wonderful volunteers. Um, I get to help with designing exhibitions um, and finding new ways to engage the public. Uh, that's been a really exciting Thing that we've been doing this past year and occasionally it's some really just oddball stuff like um scanning security cameras or uh the time someone took a dump outside my office and i realized uh, wait, wait, wait 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 <laughs> okay <laughs> i was gonna ask what's the weirdest thing but maybe you have to elaborate on that story <laughs> uh i never actually figured it out but it was very very small and <laughs> I looked left and right, and I saw that there was an abandoned baby stroller. Uh, so I think it might have just fallen out of a baby somehow. Inside the museum? Yep. All right. Well, now I've learned one new thing on this interview. Okay, go on. What what, what other interesting things? Interesting things have happened? Well, yeah. Maybe maybe just give one. One more. Um, well, there was one day of... A few months ago when I was uh, walking into work and I saw a large gaggle of students outside the museum's front door and they were very excited to see me. It turns out they spent the last 40 minutes chasing down this squirrel which had snuck into the museum and was terrorizing everyone in the building. And um, it, it had actually parked itself on the bookshelf behind my desk and they could see it through the gate which uh, divides my office from the main gallery but they couldn't actually get to it. Wow. Okay. So what happened? What happened next? I unlocked the gate. Uh, we got in um, and chased it out. It took about another 15 minutes or so. Yeah. What if you'd been working at your desk and then a little squirrel jumped up on your desk? <laughs> <laughs> I've learned that uh, when I face rodents, I don't scream. I, I bark at them for some reason. So. Oh, interesting. We would have <laughs> 
worked, although one of the students um, did laugh at me a little bit. Um, he was trying not to, he was trying to be polite, but uh, every time the squirrel got close to me, I found I clutched my invisible pearls. Um, and in retrospect, it was funny, but um, he was trying to be polite and not laugh at me, but it was worth a giggle or two. Okay, so we've added um, squirrel extermination to your list of duties that you do in the museum. Not extermination, so, not extermination but um, removal. <laughs> um, so, okay. So now we have sort of general understanding plus some extra tidbits. So what led you to this type of career? I mean, did you see yourself always working in museums or yeah, where, you know, what were your hopes and dreams as a child for a career? Uh, so growing up, my parents took me to a lot of museums. Um, yeah, we, we were constantly going to them. Um, and when I was in grade eight, my parents or my mother decided to um, get me to volunteer at the, the local museum, at the Manitoba Museum. And I started there when I was in, in grade eight and volunteered until I was in my first year of university when they finally hired me. And from there, I stayed working there through university and uh, even after university, and it just naturally became my career. Uh, my university degrees are not in museum studies, but uh, it's just something that I really enjoy. So what did you do for your university degree? Uh, my first bachelor's was a double major in history and environmental studies. And then I went back for another bachelor's uh, in urban and inner city studies. And what do you think, like if you were to connect, you know, a discipline that you'd study in university or even in high school going into university, what would you say would be sort of the most useful skills if you weren't gonna do a specific museum studies program? Like, what would you say was, was the most useful sort of working in a museum setting? How do you mean? Well, just like, what, what, what did you learn in your undergrad that sort of helped you? Was it, you know, how to be creative or how to be a good teacher? Or, or was that just sort of innate within you and you've sort of always had that passion? Oh, okay. Uh, I think in my urban and inner city studies degree, they really focused on um, the importance of listening to uh, minority communities and um, reaching out to communities that aren't necessarily in the mainstream. And uh, that is one thing that I know museums struggle with uh, all the time. Um, some friends and I were talking about how uh, some museums do events for, for um, diverse communities and then wonder why these communities don't actually show up. Uh, and sometimes it's because we need to go to those communities and cater to, to their needs and make it as easy as possible for them to interact with, with us. Um, it's not their responsibility to come to us. It's our responsibility to go to them and listen to them. And do you feel like since you've been at the Pacific Museum of Earth, you've been able to do a bit more of that with your time? Absolutely. I think the, uh, the museum and the department have given me a lot of freedom, um, an amazing amount of freedom to do that. And I think it's given us some really successful programs and um, and operations. So, um, so I guess, you know, you came from Manitoba and then when you came to Vancouver, did you come straight to the Pacific Museum of Earth? No, I, I actually spent a bit of time up at Squamish um, for a few months. And then I was at the, uh, the Space Center uh, for a few years. And then eventually I ended up at the PME. And how long have you been at the PME? Just under two years now. Wow, yeah. 
seems like forever sometimes <laughs> in, in the best way possible. It's been a, a great two years. Yeah. So you kind of talked about this a little bit in the first question I asked, but what are, I don't know, what are like the top three most interesting parts of your job? Oh, okay. Um, I mean, one of the major things that we do is, uh, or that I do, is lead field trips for young school kids. So that's always really exciting, especially when you get a group who comes in and they're not so enthusiastic and they leave and you can see that they've um, got a new passion for the topic. Um, then there are also the people who museums tend to attract, um, both the volunteers uh, and the people who come through. Uh, they're usually very, very passionate. We've had some amazing volunteers, uh, not just here, but at, at all the museums that I've worked at. Um, uh, people who work in museums tend to be really interesting and tend to share, share the same values that I have, uh, which is for, um, you, you know, they, they care about social justice and diversity and promoting um, just a, a better world in general. Uh, so we've got helping young people learn, uh, the people who work there, and then also just finding new things. Um, everyone thinks that museums are very well organized, um, <laughs> that it's like at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark where they hide the, the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant and it's in a huge warehouse and everyone knows exactly what is in all those crates. That warehouse is very much what a museum often looks like, except there is no document telling you what's in each of the crates. So every generation of museum worker has to go through and learn um, what's actually in their museum. And that's a blessing and a curse because it means every time you open something, you could find uh, diamonds or you could find just more black rocks. What's the, I mean, I don't know if you can think of maybe the most interesting or the weirdest thing, but like, what's the craziest thing you found in an unopened box in the museum? Um, there was a box of, they looked like gemstones. It turns out they were just colored quartz that had been polished, uh, but it looked like someone had removed them for photography at one point. Um, and it was just a, a nice surprise. Hmm. Or there, there was the, um, the ugly kind of dirty, um, post office bag, like postal bag that was in the bottom of a drawer. And when I opened it up, it actually contained a huge amylite seashell. Uh, so it was the rarest gem on earth. Um, oh, wow. Just in an envelope. <laughs> in, a, in a massive bag. <laughs> I kind of feel like, I mean, before you, I've been in the museum for almost seven years. And I feel like even before you came, we've had so many of those weird moments that we could almost do a podcast where we just talk about the weird things we've uncovered in the museum. <laughs> <laughs> and there's more still to come, I'm sure, as when we when we're able to go back. Oh yeah. Um, okay, so let's shift gears a little bit. So, what are you working on right now? Um, well, working on these podcasts, of course. Um, uh, you and I have both been working on an online tour that we can deliver to schools and day camps, uh, and that's been really exciting. Um, as always, I've got a lot of emails uh, with photographs asking to either sell the museum stuff uh, or to identify someone's media rights or uh, more likely media wrongs. Um, it's amazing how much time is taken up telling people, I'm sorry, we, we, we don't do that. So those are, I wondered what happened to those emails. So they're going to you now. I've, I've somehow redirected rock identifications. I was thinking 
nobody's looking for rocks right now. <laughs> I get no emails. Oh, no, we still get them. Um, we don't get the walk-ups anymore, which is nice. Uh, yeah. Pain when some, or it's always heartbreaking when someone made the effort to come out to see us. And I have to say, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not actually a geologist or a paleontologist, so I, I can't say for certain what that is. So, <clears throat> not that I want to publicize any of our crazy stories, but as you know, because you've been you've been interviewing quite a few of our scientists, so everyone has sort of these weird stories that are related to field work or you know just in weird encounters they've had. So, if you could think of like one, maybe two, maybe I'll cut you off at one, depending on how weird the story is. But what's what's something that's happened in the museum that's kind of been yeah, crazy or interesting or weird or... Oh, how much time do we have? <laughs> well, I'll give you five minutes and stay G-rated. <laughs> um, so one of my favorite things is to put on my headphones and go back to the collection room. It's a nice, quiet place. Um, and just look around the collection and see what we've got. And because we do have such an amazing collection, um, you can open a drawer and everything sparkles. Or again, you can open a drawer and it's all just ugly black rocks. And so you never really know what you're going to get. Um, and there was one time where I had my headphones in, they were very loud, and I forgot that on either side of the, the collection room are classrooms where undergrads are learning. Um, and again, we always want to have a very respectful environment um, and not a, a, you know, objectify anyone or make them uncomfortable. But I realized I was opening these drawers and I was so shocked at what I was finding. I kept muttering things like, hello, gorgeous. And... Good gracious, aren't you attractive? Um, and I realized the people on the other side of the wall may have been able to hear me, uh, but they didn't realize that I was alone and I was actually talking to rocks. <laughs> um, another, so you never, you, you never encountered the students afterwards and had to explain yourself? I hope I've never encountered them. <laughs> or if I have, oh, I hope no. I recognize my voice. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's pretty tame. Okay, what's what's another, do you have another story you were gonna tell? Um, we recently installed our hallway of human evolution, which includes uh, replicas of 10 early hominid skulls. And um, I was mentioning to a friend that I wasn't really up to date with uh, hominid evolution or, or human evolution. And so he sent me some of his, his notes and uh, it was the last half hour, half hour of my work week. And he sent me this file and it was just titled Upright Working Homos. And I thought, well, that's certainly relevant, <laughs> especially for the podcast. <laughs> uh, so for all the homos out there, um, you work. <laughs> <laughs> and then what did you think when you realized that what the content actually was? <laughs> I, I was still excited because I, I, I knew those notes would be useful. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. But, I actually haven't seen that that exhibit in person yet because we haven't been able to go back to the museum right it's been locked up since you've been back yeah i was on maternity leave for the last year so i've sort of transitioned into this weird new work-life balance of being at home um okay so another question about sort of your work and and its applications to the world so why do you think in particular, you know, museum work and sort of your role as the like outward facing voice of the museum. Why do you think that's important? Um, people have this image of museums as being very elite and very, um, very cold and, and um, 
you have to be elite to go into them. And that is absolutely what museums shouldn't be. Um, we need to be getting out beyond our walls and into the community. Um, we need to be welcoming in uh, as many different voices as we can. Um, museums do have a bit of a history uh, with colonization and um, yeah, we, we have to work to, to be more diverse and support uh, diverse voices. I think a lot of museums are working very hard to do that right now, but uh, we're also coming off a multiple centuries long uh, tradition of being the opposite of that. So it's, uh, we're making up a lot of ground. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I guess too, I mean, in earth science too, that diversity is also quite a bit of an issue, just, you know, from, you know, the faculty role all the way down into the students, we don't have hugely diverse populations in our department. Absolutely. And uh, partially this podcast series is supposed to help with that by showcasing some of that diversity and promoting it. Um, and then the other major thing that I, I really think is important for museums, um, at one point it was to educate people, um, but with the internet right now, uh, I can tell everyone lots of information, uh, but I can't give them more information than the internet can. What I can do though, is get them excited about it. And, uh, that's something that the internet, or I can get them excited in a way that the internet never can uh, do so. Um, and so would you say that's sort of one of your favorite parts of your job is, is getting to interact with people? Absolutely. And, and so how are you coping with our current COVID-19 pandemic of basically not getting to do a large part of your job, which is to be in the museum and speaking to the public and interacting with school groups and families? It's been a bit of a struggle. Um, <laughs> it's amazing how much of the energy that I get, I get comes from uh, the groups that I'm talking to. Um, I find I'll come in on a Monday morning, uh, you know, and I'm still exhausted from the weekend, and I'll have a group first thing. And when I start, I might not be at 100%, but by the time I'm done, uh, most of the time, I'll have gotten all the energy from that group and I'll get, I've given it back to them and we're both ready to have a good week. Uh, without that nice kick to the week, um, it's it's been a challenge. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think probably most people are feeling that exactly what you described, maybe in a slightly different form, but hopefully we'll, you know, we're, as Daniel said, we're working on these virtual resources and particular tours. So we're, we're gonna push Daniel out into all the classrooms and households that will have him uh, live <laughs> to actually get to speak to people. <laughs> and I can't wait for it. Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, okay, so as, as I said in the beginning, the podcast today is about celebrating queer people in Earth, Ocean, and Atmospheric Sciences. However, we realize that this hasn't always been the case. In general, have you found this field to be welcoming or hostile? And has there ever been an occasion that you can think of that your sexual orientation affected your work? Um, so in general, I would absolutely say that the, uh, the field has been surprisingly welcoming. Um, I remember the night before I actually started this job, I didn't know too, too much about the field of earth, ocean, and atmospheric sciences. And I remember lying in bed, unable to sleep, thinking, oh my God, what have I done? Uh, this department is going to be a lot of... Uh, middle-aged old white men, and um, I'm gonna be the only gay in the village. And then 
I mean, I've interviewed with you, Kirsten. Um, you are a woman, and I, I just assumed you would be the only one, but we've got a lot of women, um, and we've got a lot of queer people. And the entire department's been really supportive. People who aren't queer have been very supportive um, and have gone out of their way to voice support. And even the people who are, uh, some of them have very quietly come out to me, uh, which is very, very sweet. And they, they made sure to do it in a way that was supportive and making me feel like I wasn't the only person there. Um, others were a little more public about it. Um, and again, just demonstrating that there is space for queer people in EOS. Well, that's, that's, I mean, I'm really happy to hear that. Do you, are there past experiences at other museums that you felt different about or has it always generally been positive? I, I've been trying to remember any time where I felt uncomfortable uh, in a museum because of my sexual orientation and it's never actually happened to, to me personally. Um, that's not to say it hasn't happened to other people, and it's not to say that other groups haven't been uncomfortable in museums. Uh, that, that certainly does happen. But in terms of um, LGBTQ people, uh, museums tend to be very, very welcoming. Well, that's, yeah, I'm happy to hear that. So we just have time for one more question, Daniel. So we talked a little bit about how the current COVID-19 pandemic has impacted your work. You're not able to go to the museum. You're not able to talk to people face to face. So how are you how are you working from home and and sort of dealing with that pretty significant shift in your work uh, balance there? Yeah. Uh, so I've shifted a lot of well almost all of my work to online. Uh, these podcasts were originally supposed to be um, something we did in studio uh, with much higher production values. Um, some of them were also supposed to be public talks and so that's part of the reason why we moved them online. Um, we've had a lot of strong support from the faculty and from students in doing that. We couldn't have done all of this work without uh, the support of all those people who agreed to be uh, interviewed. Um, and in a sense, COVID has been a blessing and a curse because it's uh, forced us to do some things which I've wanted to, to do for a long time, uh, such as remote education, um, which I think will serve us well once COVID is finished. Um, with some northern schools and rural schools. Um, yeah, but it's something we have to do now because it's really all that's left to us as an activity. And um, it's the only way that we can reach out to schools safely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've been hearing other folks at museums saying kind of exactly what you just said is, you know, we, we've been wanting to do this anyways, but then I'm also getting this strong voice of, why haven't we been doing this more? You know, it's it's so it's in a way it's so easy and it, it has such a greater reach to, you know, families and schools just beyond our, our bubble of the Metro Vancouver, lower mainland area. So I think, yeah, it's we're trying to um, make lemonade from the lemons we've been given <laughs> to use an analogy that I feel like you would I feel like you're you're the king of good metaphors <laughs> or bad ones <laughs> or bad ones. Um, so, so yeah, I feel like we're, by September, we're going to have a good virtual resource library that we'll make public. But yeah, this podcast series that you've been doing is, has been really powerful and I hope, you know, sort of reaches audiences beyond our normal group. I think it's, it's really great that we're doing this. 
Well, thanks for your support in all of this. Um, of course, I couldn't have done it without uh, you giving me the get go ahead and um, and yeah, supporting me as a contact faculty and and some people who I've barely even met to to interview them. Well, I have to say yes to some of your crazy ideas. So <laughs> this is this was a really good one. <laughs> <laughs> well, Daniel, it's been really great chatting, and you know I'll hand over the mic back to you next to to do the next interviews but um yeah it was nice to hear more about what you do and and sort of your your take on museum work and and being a queer person working in the sciences i think that's important to sort of publicize that in a more direct way so thanks for for chatting and yeah we'll we'll talk to you soon or, or people will hear you soon Thanks, Kirsten. And um, for anyone who loves hearing Kirsten's lovely voice, uh, we will be interviewing her for the um, Balkanologist talk uh, later this summer. And uh, we'll turn the tables on my director. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you, Daniel. Bye.